Alrighty, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Nahmaduhu anusalli ala Rasulihi al-Kareem. Amma ba'ad. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Taala, and we seek blessings upon the Prophet, peace be upon him. Continuing our exploration of Surah Two, we are we are getting deeper into our exploration of hypocrisy. So we talked about the meaning of hypocrisy and such, or the meaning of nifaq, and and so now we can get into the, the the first attributes, but just to, to, to rewrite it, so nifaq. And again, it's discussed throughout the entire Quran. And so here we're especially we're just talking about this subsection. Ayahs two oops, not two. Ayahs eight through sixteen. And so we're gonna get into another theological type discussion here and let me um, I've been having some some computer technicality uh, technical difficulties that hopefully will not take place during this class but let's see so surah 2 looking at the first description of the people of hypocrisy uh, so among the people, there are those who say, we believe in Allah on the last day, but they do not believe. They are not believers. They seek to deceive Allah and those who believe, but they deceive none but themselves, and they don't realize it. In their hearts is a disease, and Allah increases their disease. And for them is a painful punishment because of their persistent lying. Okay, so first attribute listed here in the whole Quran of, of hypocrites is persistent lying. So simple question: Why do people lie? What are what are some reasons why people lie? Anything? Feel free to chat or speak. To get out of trouble. Okay, so one one uh, is to is to prevent getting in trouble. Yeah, would be another reason. To not hurt somebody's feelings. Yeah, and so so it could be you don't want to hurt someone else's feelings. So like if I ask you, you know, what you all think of my haircut today? You know, what are you all going to say? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah, I like it. <laughs> all right, guys, a bunch of liars. Anyway, no, 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 no. Okay. So when we speak of lying. Essentially, it's one of two goals. Either it is to avoid avoid harm or to gain benefit. Big lie, small lie, uh, it'll be for one or the other. So if a student doesn't do their homework and they tell the teacher, yeah, I did my homework, but I left it at home, yeah, they're hoping not to get in trouble. If someone's applying for a job and then they, they fudge their, their history or their salaries on their, on their application and resume, they're hoping to, to secure some benefit. So here's the question. In the moment, so we'll, we'll say me hypothetically, in the moment I'm telling someone a lie. Okay. In that moment, I'm saying that person's ability to reward me or to punish me is more important than Allah rewarding me or punishing me. 
right? Because if my focus is on a law, then I'm gonna speak the truth, even if it's bitter. Now we're not talking about exceptional cases, like what if my life is in danger? We're just talking about the general cases. So ideally, most important should be my concern for my relationship with the law, which means I'm always gonna speak the truth. But suppose in this moment, uh, I'm telling a lie, which means that in this moment, let's say I'm telling a lie to you. In this moment, your ability to reward me or punish me is more important to me than Allah rewarding me or punishing me. So is that, is this shirk? Good. So let me define what is shirk for, for just put everyone on the same page. I'm partnering someone with Allah. This is literally the ultimate sin. So if I tell a lie, in that moment, your ability to reward me or punish me is greater of my concern than Allah rewarding me or punishing me. So have I committed shirk? What do you all think? Yes or no? I want to say no. Okay. Why do you want to say no? Because the idea is, I mean, there's a reverse to that statement, to that proposition. Okay. Um, that is, God has the greatest ability to award and harm us. That necessarily follows that then the others have lesser ability to harm us and benefit us. Nonetheless, we don't, we don't say that that's shirk. Right? Uh, uh, you just lost me. Well, so God, uh, <coughs> God has the most... Um, he can benefit us and harm us the most, right? Okay. That, that implies that others can benefit and harm us less, I'm assuming here. Okay. Um, but, in, but with that framework, I don't think we're saying that we are therefore partnering these people who can benefit and harm us less than God okay. with God. Okay, That's but I'm disobeying God in the process. Right. If I'm telling a lie, God is saying I have to speak the truth. Uh, and so am I not overriding God? Don, 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 Hanin, you say, or team Hanin, you say no. Explain further. Um, yeah. So to me, the way I view shirk is when you say partnering someone with Allah, that's like idol worship or someone that you worship instead of Allah, instead of like if you fudge your um, resume to get a higher position or a better paying job, you're just, to me, I don't see that as should, like, I don't know if that's. Okay, okay, fair enough. Right, anyone else? I think it's, I'm not part of any team, but if I could just say um, that I think uh, what Dominion was saying was that, you know, you're prioritizing a person over God and that's not necessarily maybe ascribing the same attributes and if we go if we take that argument further then us going to the doctor is also shirk because we feel like the doctor can heal us don't, or don't, has don't. some remedy for our ailment um, but of course ultimately everything is coming from God right any yeah. kind of healing that happens so, so then that we could use, sort of extend that to absolutely anything. But I think what Dominion and perhaps the other uh, uh, young woman who just spoke, um, I think they're saying that we're just sort of prioritizing differently here. 
Okay. Okay. Anyone want to argue? Yes, it is Shirk. I, I like my team. Okay. Nobody wants to argue that it is Shirk. It's only two people. Three people have participated so far. Anyone else want to say no? It's not. Sun, are you jumping in? Um, yeah, I was gonna say that. Uh, I I can see where you can call that shirk, but just as like the uh, other, I forgot who just spoke, but um, she just time. said that. Yeah. Um, you know, it you can stretch this out to be something that's like, like oh, going to the doctor is a uh, shirk then, or like you know, asking anyone for help then is shirk. Like, and you know, it, it just it becomes like this like black hole of like. Uh, like asking if, if you're asking anyone anything out like anything um, then you're just like taking them as a partner to God okay okay so <clears throat> the answer becomes no it is not sure so so uh, your points were all correct and, and what is the, the purpose of this exercise? The purpose of this exercise is that by using analogy uh, in the way that especially uh, Melika and Sana just mentioned, uh, you can frame everything to look like shirk. Yeah, yeah. okay. And so, so essentially we're saying in matters of belief, uh, uh, you can't use analogies. So, no, that'll make it confusing. Uh, you can make something look like, you can make something look like, um, what's the word, uh, shirk, uh, by way of analogy, but you can't do that. In law, however, which is focused on action, You're going to be using analogies all over the place. But in terms of belief, which relates to creed, you uh, I'm trying to think of a case where an analogy works. Uh, but the basic point is that it's easy, however, to fall into the trap of, uh, especially for someone who is younger in their, their approach to labeling things as shirk. So Dominion gave us the example yesterday of, of his conversations with this person who's apparently an expert on Ibn Arabi and has, <laughs> yeah. has labeled Dominion by way of analogy mm -hmm. as a polytheist. Exact same example here, correct? And so think about how heavy this word is. We have to be very, very cautious about, about throwing around uh, this word. Uh, and, and so if we look literally in terms of how ISIS operates, their founding, their foundational structure is on theology. And so if you commit a sin, then you are essentially getting yourself excommunicated from Islam. This gets traced back to a group uh, that shows its first inklings at the time of the prophet, peace be upon him. And, and, uh, and then they grow up, they, they rise in full force in a couple of decades, the Khawarij.
And the Chawad is literally the people who've exited, although in our language we'd call them the Puritans. And so these are people who started accusing some of the closest companions of the Prophet, peace be upon him, of, of becoming kafirs because they contradicted this or that, uh, they, they were perceived to contradict this or that passage in the Quran. And so they looked at sin as an act of apostasy. They looked at sin as an act of leaving Islam. So, so the basic point is that even if you can make something look completely like, like shirk, it doesn't mean it's shirk. Only Allah it has the authority of dictating what is shirk, you know, as delivered by the Prophet, peace be upon him. And that's a very, very limited number of things. More often, wrong action will be sin. Okay, very good. So, so this is the first attribute listed of the people of, of hypocrisy is that is uh, persistent lying. Let's go to the next one. The next one is a little bit more subtle. And so we'll try to, to figure out what it is. So, and we'll go back to these passages about their hearts and Allah increasing their diseases as we're finishing up the section on, on shirk. So ayahs 11 and 12, when it is said to them, do not cause corruption in the world, they say, we are reformers. Okay. We're fixing things. We're straightening things out. Okay. Definitely not. Indeed, indeed, indeed. This is like multiple levels of, 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 of emphasis. They, they are corruptors and they don't realize it. Okay. So one thing to notice is, again, we have this mention of they don't realize it. And, and so what is the, the attribute here? These are people who are deflecting criticism. They're being called out. Okay, don't do wrong. And rather than acknowledge the wrong, they're deflecting and saying, no, we're actually fixing things. We're making things better. And so <clears throat> let's write this over here. So why would someone deflect criticism? What would be possible motivations? Anyone? You want to guess? Defense mechanisms? Yeah, yeah, I think defense mechanisms is a big part of it. That someone, uh, for various reasons, does not want to face things that are wrong that maybe everyone else sees. Yeah, so Alina is saying pride. Yeah, absolutely. Avoid embarrassment, definitely. All these things are part of, of, of the avoidance of criticism. And think Our about, uh, so arrogance as well. Uh, uh, Team Hanin, what'd you all say? Avoid accountability. Yeah, absolutely. It's avoiding accountability. You know? And so, so in terms of, of what is the proper behavior, rather than lying, we should speak the truth, even if it goes against ourselves, even if it is bitter. Sometimes it's, of course, okay just to remain silent. That's better than lying. Sometimes uh, being silent is even better than speaking the truth. So the bottom line is don't lie. Deflecting criticism is better than that, is you should consider all criticism. Why would it be better to consider 
all criticism. And I'm saying all. I'm saying whether it's come from, coming from a stranger, a loved one, an acquaintance, why should we consider the criticism that's being levied against us? Um, I think because we, we are kind to ourselves, so we overlook some of the mistakes we do, therefore we don't perceive it. And therefore, mm -hmm. we do not see our current, or we do not see our errors. So, mm -hmm. criticism is there to provide correction, and mm -hmm. we should consider them because we cannot perceive our own errors. Yeah, exactly. And so, what is implicit in here? A goal of continuous improvement. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to agree with all the criticism you receive. Sometimes people are giving you criticism uh, for their own self-empowerment to shut you down. Sometimes someone is giving you criticism and it's sincere, but it is not accurate. Okay. But it is of benefit to consider all criticism that, that you're receiving. Now, if we tie this in with the people of Taqwa, think back to the people of Taqwa, uh, among the attributes, if you, we looked at all the, the, the commonalities of the people of Taqwa, they have thorough trust in Allah. Let's spell thorough wrong. And related to that, we spoke about certainty of the hereafter, so they're naturally going to be uh, uh, working toward perfection. That is part of their aspiration. So the person of taqwa would thrive on, on criticism. And again, sometimes the criticism might be wrong. Often the criticism might be wrong, but it should always uh, be considered. And sometimes, you know, when you receive criticism, especially depending upon what it is or where it's coming from, it stings. It could mean that it's right, or it could mean it doesn't necessarily mean that it's right, but it's still worth considering. And in other words, what we're saying is that the hypocrite is deflecting criticism. The person of taqwa considers all criticism to be constructive. And I'll say just from, from experience, uh, if you get in the habit of working towards self-improvement, whether it's holistically or like in certain aspects of your work, you will love criticism. You know, just like when, when students come to the office or online and we're working on their personal statements for med school, law school, et cetera, grad school. And, and usually the first round is they'll give me the personal statement. I'll read it out loud to them. That alone is super embarrassing for them. And then we start going through critiquing anything and everything, and then they start loving it because they see how much it's improving their work. And some of you who are in the class have gone through, gone through, you know, personal statement revision with me. You can agree or disagree. Okay. So that advice really helps, Sylvester. Okay. Um, I have a question. Uh, yes. What does Rab mean again? What is Rab? Yeah. Like Rabbil Alameen. So yes. the, the general translation uh, is Lord. The specific translation we gave is the one who takes you from immaturity to maturity according to your unique design. I'll type it out okay. for you. Isn't it the case that if they are deflecting criticism, therefore 
denying improvement. They are in it essentially, or at least um, accidentally denying God's maturity. Or not so much denying maturity. God's maturity, but God's maturing of you, making you grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because if we look from the perspective that Allah Ta'ala is putting all these things before you, it may be that you're getting criticism from the most random place, yet it is in that moment Allah speaking to you. Yep, I had a three-year-old call me fat, so I have to consider that. Okay, taking into consideration. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Three-year-olds are awesome because of how unfiltered they are. So, like, you know, if you go to the subcontinent, how do you know if you're fat if someone tells you that you are looking healthy? Right? Ah, oh, healthy. You know. okay. That's <laughs> nice. basically a signal that you're not looking healthy. Okay, in any case, so this is the second attribute of the people of, of, of Nifaq. Third attribute, this one is a bit easier, and there's two parts that are essentially the, the same thing. You know, it's funny, there's probably a bunch of non-Arabs in the class who are thinking, hey, yeah, that Daisy auntie told me I look healthy. Okay, anyway, so when it is said to them, believe as the people believe, okay, they say, shall we believe the way the fools believe? But the reality is that they're the fools and they don't know it. Okay. So how would you describe this behavior? They're being told, believe like everyone else, believe like the people. And they're saying, should we be, are you telling us to be like fools? Okay. But they're the fools and they don't realize it. Your thoughts, what is the personality trait we have here? They're calling them names. Okay. And what's specifically about their name, about the names you're calling them? They're, call, they're insulting them. So they're basically being arrogant. So, and so the third attribute is it's two things that are essentially the same point. They're arrogant. And about whom they devalue the community. So what is the general term we use for the community? Ummah. And think of what the root is of Ummah or one of the roots of Ummah is Um, which means what? Anyone? Mother. Yeah, I was going to say that. Anyway. And so, so what is a way to look at the community, uh, whether you are raised Muslim or whether you are a convert, you look at the community as your root. And so it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking that you are better than the community and to create disdain for the community. I've literally, after this lesson, I've literally had people in previous runs of this course leave the course because they could not accept this point. That uh, what I perceive of the community is a reflection of myself more than the community. Because look what the ayah is saying. The ayah is saying that, you know, should we believe as the fools believe? No, they're the foolish ones. Good. And so let's make sense of this. The community, even so in the context of Chicagoland, although we have people here from all over the place, mashallah, the community uh, of Chicagoland, supposedly we have, give or take about 400,000 Muslims. I'm saying supposedly because we've been saying that number since about 1996. And 
no one knows where that number came from. But let's just say we have about 100 Islamic centuries, mashallah. And, and, and so we have every single type of person in the community. We have people who are super upright, super, super modest, super devout. We also have people who are super corrupt, super narcissistic, super destructive, right? And everything in between. So what I draw attention to in the community, what I notice in the community is a reflection of what is in myself. It's a statement more about myself than it is about the community itself. Because the community has everything. So if I wanted to look at the community as a bunch of corrupt people, yeah, we have examples of that. If I want to look at, at the community as a bunch of super hard you know, perfectionists, we have that too. We have everything. And then the larger the sampling, so forget Chicago, suppose we're talking about America, suppose we're talking about the West, we're talking about the globe. Okay, we have literally every single size and shape of person. Okay. And so if I'm regarding the community as a bunch of fools, that's actually a statement about me. This is one of the, the, the profound subtle points of this ayah. I am projecting onto the community. Yeah, at this point, someone's going to make the comment about how I still have a house phone. But anyway, so the point is, is that this uh, is also part of the nature of hypocrisy. They are pointing fingers, not realizing that the fingers are literally pointing back at themselves. And so what would be the upright behavior, what would be the healthy behavior, is to value the community. Now, does that mean that the community is doing everything perfectly? Of course not. Right. But a lot of times people fall into the trap of defining the entirety of the community based on, for example, what happens in the mosque or by a few people in the mosque. Because you and I know it's often the loud people that become the representative in people's minds of everyone. So think of you know, the discourse for the past 30 years about Islam and terrorism. It's a terrorist act of a couple that just that get the whole community labeled. And so you go to the masjid and suppose you're, you're a woman and your hijab, according to one masjid auntie, is not perfect. And then she points it out to you. It's very easy to make that a reflection in your mind of the entire group there, even though the other 40 people who are there in the closet might not be saying anything. Okay. Um, or, I mean, so even like when I'm giving Juma khutbahs at, at various masjids, it's been, it's been a while, obviously because of the quarantine, uh, but also because I've been avoiding it to focus on loyal students. But uh, it's, there's certain mosques where my routine is that I'm going to give the Juma khutbah and I know there's going to be a line of uncles coming to me. A couple of them will make requests, a couple of them will praise me, and a couple of them will tell me every single thing that I've did wrong in the whole, in the whole khutbah. Okay. And, and that's part of the experience. But again, if I fall into the trap of thinking, okay, the uncles that I think are giving me unfair criticism, if that's everybody, okay, that's my flaw. That's not the flaw in the community. Um, and a lot of times these masjid aunties and uncles are actually very, very well-intended, even though their approach is completely wrong. So again, what is the point here? That when I am looking at the community, I am projecting often my own internal flaws onto the community itself. This is one of the problems of hypocrisy. So we even have a teaching attributed to the prophet, peace be upon him, that Rumi speaks about quite a bit, where he says that, that believers are mirrors to each other. 
And so if you see a flaw in one of your brothers and sisters, that is actually a flaw in yourself. Doesn't mean it's not in them, but the fact that that's the thing you notice, that is something in you. So. Okay, so this is a third attribute of the people of Tukwa. It is arrogance and devaluing the community. Let's actually, let's make this a proper gerund. Um, devaluing. Okay, so now let's get to the fourth attribute of the people of hypocrisy. And once again, as we go through all this, the reminder is not for me to point this out to other people. Hey, you're a hypocrite. I, uh, I've done this class before where a roommate, a student went to her room and said, you know, I just studied this in Quran class. You're a hypocrite. Okay, that's not the approach to be taking for, for, for this. Okay. When they meet those who believe, they say we believe, when they're alone with their devils, with their shaitans, they say we are actually with you. We are only making fun of them. And then Allah is the one who mocks them and he lets them continue in their transgression, wandering blindly. So how would you describe this person? When they're with the believers, they say we believe. When they're with their shaitans, their devils, they say we're actually with you. We're making fun of them. Oops, wrong screen. Two-faced. Two-faced, exactly. This is Harvey Dent. So here we're talking about someone who is showing one personality with one crowd and a completely different personality with a different crowd. So then here's the question. Uh, don't we all do this? So for example, <clears throat> here we are in class and you're seeing super pious version of Muzaffar. Okay. Now when I am uh, when you go through a full class with me, you see even much more of my jokes and inappropriate comments, especially if it was a class full of undergrads. Yeah. Uh, when I'm with my close friends, they see much more of my personality that you will not see in this class. You know, they'll even see me getting irritated and angry and all that. Okay. When I'm with my daughters, one of whom is sitting here in class, she sees almost the entirety of my personality. Yeah. Um, and then when I'm alone, it's 360. It's everything. Yeah. Is that the same as what is being described here? Why or why not? Uh, Eve, you saying something? I would, yeah, I would say it's not just because yeah. there's a level of mannerisms or comfort that you have with different um, groups of people. Like I wouldn't act the same at home that I would at work. Mm hmm um, but I think two-faced is a matter of big opinions um, and, and and there was the part where it was like, not only are, oh, I was just like that with them. It's like, I really don't believe them. So there's a, there's a sense of um, not only denying them, but also um, saying, you know, I don't believe it anyways. I was just there to make fun of them. And two-faced so, is, sorry. Go for it. And two-faced is, you know, intentional deception, right? So mm -hmm. we all have a range of dimensions to our personality. And some people might see some parts and other people might see others. But being two-faced is like, you know, being deceptive deliberately and mm -hmm. trying to conceal certain parts of yourself from 
as a way to deceive with that mm-hmm. intention. Mm-hmm. So this is this is a key. Uh, what, what both of you mentioned that uh, there's appropriate behavior for each setting, right? There's a professional behavior you have in a professional setting. There's a different type of behavior you have with your friends. There's a different type of behavior you have with your families and such. And the key is that these are not contradictions. It's more that I'm only showing parts of myself. So, so in this class, you're only seeing this much of me, whereas my daughter has seen this much of me. And even in the, uh, perhaps the, the exact uh, same day. And, and so here, the hypocritical behavior is, is, is that there are contradictions. There's willful deception. deception. And as Asna is mentioning, that there is this willful manipulation taking place um, uh, as well. And so, so then what is the key here from, from a taqwa perspective? The taqwa perspective is to be consistent. Okay. Not contradictory. So again, uh, you're still going to be showing uh, certain amounts of yourself in different settings, but you're going to be, that's still going to be a consistent person. So these are four of the attributes that we have of the people of hypocrisy. And let's look back in, in the few minutes we have left to, to get a sense of what are some common elements that are overt and then some that are very, very subtle. So, so skimming through very quickly, uh, you know, there are in ayahs 8 through 10, there's these people who are lying, seeking to deceive Allah. They deceive nobody but themselves. They don't realize it. Ayahs 11 and 12, they're being told, don't make mischief, but they're saying we're actually reformers, but they're actually the mischief makers, and they don't realize it. When they're told, believe as the people believe, they say, shall we believe as the fools believe? They're the fools, but they don't know it. Okay. And then when they meet with the believers, they say, we are with you. But when they're with their shaitans, they say, we're actually with you. And uh, we're only making fun of them. And Allah is the one who is making fun of them. Allah is mocking them and lets them continue on. What would you say are some common attributes there of the, in terms of the, the people of hypocrisy? Any thoughts, guesses, reflections? One is they don't see it. Right, the passage is over and over said. They don't realize it. They don't, they're the ones who are being de- uh, deceived. They don't, or they don't realize it. They are, the, they are the ones who are mischief makers, but they don't realize it. They're the fools, but they don't even know it. Or they're the ones being mocked, and, and they can't tell. They don't see it in themselves. So, for example, we're taught that a hypocrite regards themselves as a true believer. A true believer regards themselves as a hypocrite. Why? Because a true believer sees their flaws. They know their flaws. And they're very conscious of their flaws or they're the sins that they keep doing and such and they don't want anyone to know about it. Another 
is that they're always talking about themselves. So they're lying, you know, the second attribute, they say, no, we're actually, uh, we're actually uh, reformers or shall we believe as a fool believes, fools believe we are actually with you, we're not with them. And so they're always inserting themselves uh, as a center of attention. They're always drawing attention to themselves. Even if they're deflecting, they're still drawing attention to themselves. And even deeper, in the way we said that the people of, of Taqwa had thorough trust in Allah, they have deep distrust. So distrust is not the same as lack of trust, right? Lack of trust is related to how much faith we have, and that's going to go up and down. Distrust is the opposite. So when we are way back when we were in the middle of the second surah, we spoke about levels of faith. There I asked the question, is it okay for me if I'm saying you alone, we ask for help? And we talked about how thoroughly that means you alone, we ask for help. You alone, we will ask for help. We do not ask for help from anyone else. We will not ask for help from anyone else. Uh, and so then I raised the question, is it okay for me to ask for help from someone else, like a physician, a mechanic, a tutor, etc.? And then we address that by levels of faith. And so now we're going to give some names to these levels of faith. So we have Islam, Iman, Ihsan. Okay. So what is, uh, when we're speaking in this context, Think of these as levels or dimensions of faith. This is a level of surrender. We're going to define these more tomorrow, inshallah. This, we define Iman as radiating security, that I have such a level of security in the truth of these things that others feel secure by being in my company. And this is beautification and perfection of faith. Beautification. Perfection. Of faith. Okay. And we'll define these more, inshallah, tomorrow. But how does this apply? As I am getting closer to Allah, I will be going through these different levels of faith. This is me trying to get closer to Allah. Okay. So as I get closer to Allah, I move from Islam to Iman, Iman to Ihsan. Okay. But what if I'm going in the opposite direction? If I'm going in the opposite direction, let's give this brown. There are, there are so if I'm essentially turning away from Allah, Uh, I might go to outright rejection of faith or I might go to hypocrisy. So that is me going in the opposite direction. 
okay, I I I wanted to ask this that yeah, um, is the rejection of faith those who reject faith and those who are hypocrites are those mutually exclusive? That is, they don't overlap, or is there some overlap? Okay, well, that's what we're going to look at right now. Perfect question to ask. So internal would be what's going on in your heart. External would be your actions. So external would be what other people see. This is the realm of the body. Internal is the realm of the heart. So the people of Taqwa, in their heart is Iman, and in their actions, in their externals, it would be Islam. So it's belief in the, in the inside, belief on the outside. That's the person of taqwa. Good. The next person we saw is the person of kufr, the person of rejection of faith. So in their heart is kufr. And on the outside, they're not presenting themselves as a Muslim. Now remember, uh, I'm not saying that the reverse is true, that someone is non-Muslim, they're automatically a kafir but I'm saying this is a person who's a kafir on the inside and on the outside, they're a non-Muslim. So what would be the person of nifaq? Um, you have you have kafir and you express Islam, I suppose. That's exactly it. In your heart, it's rejection. Yet on the outside, you're presenting yourself as Muslim. Now, this section lists three. We're going to have a different type of fourth person later on, but we can, we can extrapolate from this list a fourth type of person. What would that be? Um, Iman and is, uh, not non-Muslim. Yeah. So fourth type of person would be someone who has Iman, but they're hiding it. Why would someone be doing that? So could that be like other people in different religions? Um, here we're speaking purely in terms of a relationship with God. So, so other religions don't yet apply to this. That will get into course number two. They uh, haven't refused the message. Yeah, possibly. What else? Summary, you were saying something? Oh, yeah, sorry. They're scared. Maybe they, there could be harm. They could be killed or if somebody yeah. finds a believer. Exactly. So, so basically, it's some, they're, un, they're under some sort of threat real or perceived threat. So, so for example, I've met people in academia over the years who, who privately are Muslim, but they don't tell anyone because they feel that they can get more work done by hiding the fact of their Islam. When there's persecution taking place, you know, whether we're speaking about, uh, you know, like, you know, what's happening with Muslims, in Myanmar or, or the Uyghurs or uh, uh, in India that some are feeling compelled to hide their Islam. If we're speaking, for example, of Shias, Ismaili Sufis in, in Pakistan, um, that there's also a compulsion for some to hide their, their beliefs. You know, a lot of times converts will go through a period of time where they don't tell their family members uh, out of fear of, of rejection. Okay. So this is also a, a real thing. We have this even in the story of Moses, peace be upon him, 
where someone from the community comes to confirm the truth of Moses. Nobody knew that he was a believer. Uh, in Spain, at the time of, of the Inquisition, we had uh, Moriscos and Moranos. These are people who were hiding the fact that they were Muslim or Jewish to prevent, uh, to prevent being pulled into the Inquisition and such. And so this is another type of person. But essentially, what are we saying here? That one way to look at the individual is what is taking place in their heart and then what, is, what are their actions. And the ideal, of course, is to be the person of taqwa. And two of the opposites of the people of taqwa would be the kafir and, and the monophic. So Dominion, to ask your question, no, they're not mutually exclusive. It'd be more related. The difference would be where they revealing on the outside. And we could say that the fifth person that we have not listed here is, okay, is it possible to have none of these? But these would be the core four. Alrighty, so, so we're going to add on to this diagram over the course of the next 20 ayahs, inshallah. And, and then tomorrow we will look at what else uh, is in the essence here. And this we're going to see tomorrow is the issue of the choices that people are making. Any last questions or thoughts about anything at all? I have a question. Santiago, go for it. Do you happen to know the name of that guy that you said that went to Moses and nobody knew he was Muslim? Uh, he's not given by name. He's not given a name in the Quran. Uh, uh, I can ask some people. Uh, let's see. Uh, Sheikh Omar, uh, do you know? I don't know if you're familiar with the story that I'm talking about. But, uh, do you know? Okay, mashallah. Okay. Yeah, sorry, Santiago. I'll, I'll, I'll try to ask some other people, but uh, I think in all the years that I've been taught that story, no one had the sense to ask that person's name. <laughs> I never did either. It's all good. Any other questions about anything at all? Yeah, um, I do. So regarding belief, yeah. uh, psychologically, how does belief operate? Is it... Mm. Is it um, is it just a static thing that people do not have control over? I know that that's what philosophy says or some philosophers say, or can it, can we control our belief? Mm. So, so uh, if we connect it with our free will predestination discussion from the other day, there's definitely a certain amount of belief that we can control. Um, and it does go up and down. Actually, one of the, one of the, the of, among the various theological debates we find in Islamic history is does Iman which is essentially, you know, what we're speaking of here as a person's strength of faith, does that go up and down? And so, so uh, the common view through the Quranic lenses, yeah, it absolutely goes up and down. Good. Uh, related to choice as well as related to circumstance. And, and your choices will uh, affect this. We'll, we'll see this more when we get into uh, the heart and such. But the short answer is, yeah, you can. Okay, thanks. Okay, <laughs> Any other questions about anything at all? Yeah, so not a question, just a comment on when you drew the line about going backwards in faith. So going, yeah. um, I think it's interesting. I think, I don't know, I think it was last class you mentioned how uncertainty increases when somebody focuses on their self more. 
And it's just like in this line, it's like the more you go away from Allah and focusing on yourself. It's like, I don't know if it was intentional, but it seems like the more you're focused on yourself, you're moving away. This is uh, absolutely part of this. Like uh, in, in other classes, we go through, you know, a whole list of what increases and decreases. So what is increasing as I get closer to Allah would be my selflessness. as well as my selflessness. So the first one I'm speaking of how we commonly speak of selflessness when you look at other people's needs and wants over your own. And the second one is how much of my brain space is me focused on myself versus Allah. So the more I'm getting closer to Allah, the more Allah is consuming my whole being. Yeah, absolutely. What else is increasing? My character is increasing. As I get closer to Allah, the quality of my character is increasing. The scrupulousness of, of my faith, meaning that how detail-oriented I become, is also increasing. Absolutely. This is all by design. I mean, to give you a hint of, of what's even worse, this we'll get to when we get to um, Ayah 26 and 27, Fisk, to be a faucet, which is essentially a shameless rebel. And so that would be the ultimate narcissist. You know, the narcissist who has no qualms about even sharing uh, all the wrongs that they do. A hypocrite still has some amount of embarrassment and shame, but a, a faucet has none. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions or thoughts? All righty. We will stop right here, inshallah. We will continue uh, tomorrow. There's one of these days where we're going to be skipping class. And uh, well, in fact, I'll just let you know by email, but I'm pretty sure we're meeting tomorrow, inshallah. I think the, the one of the classes we'll be skipping is next week because I have a, some some work related to, to campus. I, I, don't, I don't think I'm in an email list. Oh, you're not? OK. Then I think I put you there. Well, I mean, no one, I haven't been sending out emails. Oh, OK. So, OK. Yeah. yeah. It's only, it's only the list with like the Zoom info and such. Okay, yeah, I'm in then. Okay, very good, chill. Alrighty, uh, I think I got everyone's questions in the text box. All right, subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O Allah, wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude to you. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, we bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka, we seek your forgiveness, wa natubu ilayk, and we turn to you. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah ta'ala inshallah reward you all and we will continue next time. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you, Omar. Thank you so much. Absolutely.